making twenty thousand to thirty thousand a month off music. I mean, damn, that's pretty. You know, that's solid money. That's nothing to shirk off. Some of these people, if they were independent, they might not be the global superstars that they are. They might be a little bit more in control. They might have less obligation, and they might still be able to put out the music that they want to put out. And all that stuff sort of creates sort of a concoction of, man, maybe I would be happier. Maybe I wouldn't have to like get fake teeth, get a bunch of gold chains. I wouldn't have to do that because I'm living a lifestyle that's conducive for long-term success. Hey, welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Trapital, Dan Runcy. This podcast is your place to gain insights from the executives in music, media, entertainment, and more who are taking hip-hop culture to the next level. Today's episode is all about the deals that artists sign. There are so many more options and ways that artists can level up and types of companies that they can partner with. It's no longer just the record labels. There's alternative finance options, their distribution platforms, and more. And I broke this down today with my friend and well-respected entertainment attorney, Carl Folks. And he runs an entertainment practice called The Folks Firm, where he represents artists like Blast, producers, entertainers, athletes, and more. So I talked to Carl about his experience with this and what he sees as the future landscape. And Carl has this phrase that I think he needs to trademark. He has this phrase called LOMO, which is focused on the four key elements that artists should be focusing on when they're signing deals. The important thing about LOMO and more broadly this conversation is that this doesn't just apply to artists. Look at all the different types of creators right now. There's so many deals that they're doing. There's so many opportunities from different companies that want to partner with them. And whenever those things happen, there are more and more contracts that aren't always set up in the easiest way for you to be able to understand and break this down. So we talked about that and where things are heading and how it really is shifting to a place where artists aren't just giving the keys to a big corporation to handle everything. Let's have them build the businesses around themselves, partner with the different companies to fill in the different roles you need and build up from there. This was a great conversation. I think it's really insightful for all the creators out there. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's my chat with Carl Folks. All right, today we got Carl Folks with us, who's back on the podcast from the Folks firm. You represent Blast and a bunch of other artists, but we're here to talk about this guest piece that you wrote for Trapital, a really great piece about the future of the artist deal. So let's start at the top. Why did you want to write this piece? Yeah, I think right now, you know, historically, there's there's been a few players, and those few players are really just record labels. So it kind of pigeonholed what the what the deal was going to look like. You know, now there's so many different players out there. Technology is infused all through the music industry. So there's you know there's distributors, there's advanced companies, right? They're just trying to like you know model what they can give you based on streaming algorithms. You know, companies like Beat Bread, for example, and then. You still got those major labels there sort of offering a lot of those services. So the landscape's so different. I think because there's so many different parties and so many different solutions, I think the deal has to change with the times that we're in. And oftentimes, you know, what I'm seeing, you know, I'm not seeing, you know, those those change deal terms. And, you know, I, I just think it's something that we need to get ahead of. Yeah. And I feel like now you're hearing more than ever 
people talking about ownership, artists, whether or not they may have enough behind it, want to make sure that they're owning everything when they're coming to try to negotiate contracts. Do you feel like that's shifted the landscape? I mean, I feel like it's definitely improved the conversation around it, but do you feel like that's actually having an impact on the deals that are being made? Yeah, and, and, and it's been quite effective. You know, I think most people who are in my position, um, you know, doing deals on the, on the attorney side are seeing contracts that, especially if there's any built up leverage that almost exclusively, you know, have a license period, right? So in, instead of the full transfer of ownership or work for hire language you've seen in the past, I'm seeing a lot more 20-year licenses, 25-year licenses, 15-year licenses. So the artist is, you know, almost exclusively going to get the master's back. Now, some of the other top-line terms might not be that different in terms of the royalty rate or some, you know, the, the ancillary income. But, you know, the ownership paradigm is definitely, definitely changing. And, um, and I think that, I think that's the unique part, uh, thing about it today. Yeah, because I feel like, especially with the major record labels, it's kind of two things happening, right? On one hand, your streaming revenue is continuing to grow and you have all these other revenue sources from outside of the digital streaming providers, whether that's with Peloton or Roblox and all these other partners that want licensing deals. So all that's increasing. But on the other hand, more and more artists are not going to want to just give up their masters in perpetuity. So the labels are also counteracting that piece of it. So I see them in a lot of ways. They're hoping that the revenue from all of these areas can offset the loss that's eventually going to come from the masters because eventually you can't earn money from the back catalog forever if the current artists are going to keep that back catalog and the labels aren't going to be able to have it. 3,000%. So I think... I almost I almost wonder why some of the the record labels out there don't sort of take from their publishing counterparts, right? Because the co-pub deal is sort of set up as a joint ownership structure, fifty-fifty, right? So the songwriter usually owns um, half the composition, and the publisher owns the other half of the composition. And you know, um, you know, when the term is up, the kind of the the songwriter can go do what they want with their fifty percent, and they could have you know whoever collects on it, and then you know the record label can. Oh, sorry, the publisher can take their 50% and go collect on it as well. So it's a shared equity model. It's something that um, I think tends to work for, for, for better parties. And I know there's some mechanisms that are a little bit different, you know, as it relates to distribution of music versus collection of music. But um, I, I think that's sort of a precursor to, you know, maybe something we'll see, you know, happen over the next, next 10 to 20 years. What do you think the next 10 to 20 years will look like? Because I often have this conversation with a lot of people. Some people go to the extreme of being like, no, nah, record labels will be extinct by then. And I've never quite gone to that perspective just because I think people still ignore the desire that people have to be the biggest star in the world and where they feel like they need to go in order to do that. But I do think that we'll likely see more of these shared equity or more of these flexible options. Because I feel like one of the things you highlight in the piece is that it's great that there are so many distributors and places that you can release your music, but it's still a pretty big difference where it's like, okay, you either got to give up everything and we'll make you a superstar or you try to do it your own, but it's still hard to get to that level without some additional support. Yeah, I think the next 10 to 20 years um, are, are going to be a very interesting time. And I don't think anything's going to be figured out in the next 10 to 20 years, just because I think 
there are so many different emerging business models, right? Like I, I keep talking about these music tech companies kind of coming in and offering, using algorithms and, you know, uh, formulas to sort of um, create a, a estimate on, you know, what your, your royalties could be, will make in the next three to four years. And I'll give you a, a big advance too, right? And, you know, I reference Beat Bread because, you know, I just saw they did that for a massive artist recently. And, you know, they're not really, they're not offering service or anything. We're just going to give you that funding element. And I think historically, if you look at startups and, you know, there's always been a lot of artists, our founders conversation in the past five years. But when you look at a lot of startups, it's really hard to scale a business without capital. Um, so capital is always going to be sort of the driving force on any decision I think you have to make in your in your business in your business journey at a certain point. So I think what will happen is labels will realize I think the all or nothing approach of sort of either doing a license deal or completely owning the masters isn't really probably anyone's best interest, including theirs. And and I think we'll see more shared, shared equity, right? And more investing in artists, you know, being being in business with an artist forever, but in a tasteful way, right? Like owning twenty percent of somebody's master for perpetuity seems a lot better than owning a hundred percent of someone's, you know, master in, in perpetuity, right? There's there's like a natural there's an for, for if you're an artist, you, you might be able to live with that. Hey, this person gave me a million dollars. They have different access and resources and funding opportunities throughout, and um, they have a history of helping artists. You know, why don't I? We can we can share this thing forever, but you know, I'll be in control. I think that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and what I think it does is it itemizes how to look at the value add that you're either getting from a record label or from another type of partner, right? Because at its core, a record label deal is very similar to a private equity model. I know a lot of people make the venture capital comparison, but I think it's a bit more like private equity or even more so an M&A deal where you are essentially selling yourself as the business, at least to the recorded music business of what you're doing to this company. And then in return, they are paying you for the services. And they're obviously going to try to maximize it as much as they can with everything they offer from marketing to promotion to all the other services that you can essentially get counsel, advice, so on. But I think the shift in what we're seeing a lot more artists do more so, I'd say, on the independent side, but I think we'll see some of the bigger artists do it too. They want to create the business. They want to be the one that is doing the actual tasks and how can they have you know things set up around them in order to do that. And it's something we see with all creators to some extent, right? I feel like some people are always going to, maybe they want to gravitate more towards the business side of things. Maybe they want to gravitate more towards the art that they actually do need to make, but still... If you're going to take the business side of it, then yeah, there's likely going to be a company you go to for marketing support. There's going to be a company you go to for PR or for distribution or for those things. And if you do it that way, then you're likely going to have a better approach about how you're making deals. And I feel like this is one of the key things that like you and I've been talking about for years now, just in terms of like how these things get set up and how these things should be set up, especially for the artists that are willing to put in the work. Yeah, I think I think what artists and their teams too are realizing are, you know, they're still doing a ton of work even even after they sign to to the record label, right? And I think some of those things historically that we we maybe thought or attributed to a record label, whether it's right or wrong, are things that in this generation, you know, teams, managers, 
other team members on that direct on that direct artist team are being tasked with and and they're executing you know to some extent right we're seeing tiktok campaigns being launched and then that being the driving force of of an artist being signed to a multi-million dollar license deal right because that artist and their team leverage you know that music technology to to create some momentum and drive the price of that deal up um we're seeing a lot of that so i think all that's making artists and their teams do is say, hey, if we're going to do a lot of the strategy and and work to get signed, maybe signing doesn't necessarily make sense. Maybe we're, we're looking for for something else. Maybe it's not the traditional we sign to you model. It's like, let's partner. I need you for a few things. The rest we can take care of. We need some funding and, you know, we, we need some support on, you know, with radio. We need some, we need some of your tools that you might have and your staffing. But, you know, eventually uh, we think we'll be able to do that stuff down the line. I think that's kind of the future, more more sort of artist companies. And you see some of these catalogs and you're like, yo, that's like, that's like, you know, that's a mini company. You know, you, I know you talked, we, we saw Justin uh, Timberlake's catalog. Um, so for, uh, I believe, roughly $100 million. But you think about companies that could sell for a hundred million dollars, like they have more than like two employees where it's, it's actually a company. Like there's people driving marketing campaigns. There's, there's the human resources department. There's, you know, so I always think it's funny because when you actually look at the, the valuation of the IP and what, what something is actually making year over year. And, um, you know, that's like a, that's a, that's a pretty sizable company that that's probably not staffed correctly. I think that's probably what we'll see in the future is hopefully these, these companies and uh, they can get staffed correctly. And it makes you also think about, okay, let's take the Justin Timberlake example. Obviously, he's someone that had a very successful and still has had a very successful solo career. But how much more value could there have been if he had created things in the way that you know we're talking about here? Obviously, there's a trade-off there because I do think he's clearly someone that benefited more than the average person for a number of reasons from the major record label system and the broader media system that we're in. But yeah, $100 million, like you think about a startup that is reaching $100 million, you already have the idea of how big that startup is, what that startup's trajectory looks like. And obviously, this is a little bit different because it's based on that recurring revenue stream. But still, I mean, it's huge. Right. And I, I think like it's, it's when we talk about sales and, you know, when a company has to do get due diligence done on them. Right. So you look under the hood and, you know, you're trying to see what that company actually owns. Do they even own the rights? Do they own the pub rights? Do they own the likeness? Do they own the trademarks? Right. But if a company, if an artist, you know, driven company and it doesn't have to be one artist, I think, you know, obviously there's, there's going to be a lot more collective and smaller labels, I think, in, in the future that are successful in, 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 you know, running this model. But, you know, if, a, if you do a due diligence on a company and they do own all the IP, they do own all the trademarks, they do own the pub and they do own the record and there's employees in place and there's procedures in place and there's a history and books to, to, to sort of show what's happening over the past five or 10 years. You know, you're right. Like, you know, these, these evaluations are probably being done on just raw numbers. But if you were to factor in some of this other stuff, it's like, man, this is like a, this is a well-oiled machine. This might be worth a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like once we're able to get there, a lot of it is focused on the type of deals people can make and how specific they're getting about these 
And you have been pushing and promoting this acronym about how artists, and I think this even extends beyond artists, how anyone that is creating content or making any type of deal should be looking at things. So what's the advice there that you give for them? And what are the, the, the elements to look out for? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, a strategy I, I've sort of been been using and um, created, I believe it was a, a, about a year and a half ago, I've um, been talking to a few clients was, you know, length obligation, uh, money, and ownership. Um, and those four key things are sort of the top line things you need to worry about when you're, when you're forming a contract. And also, I, I like to think about, you know, clients and people I'm talking to when, when, when I'm discussing Lomo, just, just prioritizing those things, right? Because you're not going to have, you're not going to have the perfect deal where you have a short term, you get a, uh, you get a lot of money, your obligation is low, and you get to own everything that's just not that's just not realistic but I, what i do think is realistic is you know putting together a strategy that you could sort of you know put those things in order and you know five five six seven years down the line be happy with whatever sort of business you, you set up for yourself because you knew what you were getting into you knew what your priorities were and and sort of you knew what you were signing so i think those four top line terms length obligation money and ownership are the driving force of they're sort of the backbone of every contract, and for better or worse, I think those those terms have decided whether an artist is going to be on Twitter in five years talking about how they hate their contract, or they're going to be in, you know, you know, being able to sell their catalog for for fifty to hundred million dollars in, in ten years, right? So I think Lomo is 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 really important, and it'll help you sort of um, prioritize um, your needs if you are an artist. And and again, that's not just for um, the artist, that's for the artist team, that's for these collectives that are coming up. I think those are probably going to be the ones enforcing that strategy. But, you know, Lomo Lomo is very uh, is very useful, I think. You got Lomo trademarked? I, I haven't got Lomo trademarked, man. That's crazy. Maybe after this episode. I mean, I feel like I feel like you got like the it. I mean, because that's so many of these things, right? How do you like simplify things to just make it clear and take away so much of the legalese that I think is in there at many times as a tactic itself to confuse artists? Yeah, I mean, and again, like some of the the, the you hire an attorney to do the hard legal work, right? That's like the job of. You know, when, when people are generally saying, artists, you need to understand your deals, we're not saying you need to become an attorney overnight because you still need an attorney. You need someone who's, that's someone else's job. Your job is to sort of run your company, you know, have a little bit of insight on some of these uh, objectives and stuff that you're building. But you should really have a key indicator of those top line terms. That's what you really need to know. You're not going to know what an indemnification clause is or you're not going to get into the warranties and representation. That's not the best use of your time. But you should know how long the contract is. You should know how much money you're, you're con- and how much royalty you're going to get or how the royalties are even paid out. You should know what you're required to do. You know, all those good things are, are the, the core of a contract. And I think that artists need to focus less on some of the nitty gritty of the, you're not going to read too much legalese in a contract. But, you know, those four things will help you sort of, you know, uh, understand what you're signing. Yeah, I agree. And you mentioned earlier about the, artists that are going to be on Twitter complaining about their deal. Is there an area of Lomo that you think they're most likely to complain about or have an issue about? Oh, yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I think oftentimes it's it's a, it's a combination of usually two things, but I think it's maybe the way royalties are paid out. I think once you really understand 
recoupment, you know, it's not like a net profit. It's not like an off top thing. And, and what I mean by that is if you're recouping at the royalty rate, that means if you have a 20% royalty rate, you got to make five times, you know, to, to recoup, right? They get, they get even, right? Because, you know, you're, if a dollar of money is generated, only 20 cents of that dollar is counting toward, you know, paying back the, the label, right? So you got to make five, you got to make 25 times over. I think that's the part that really rubs people the wrong way, right? Just because if it was a net profit situation or an off top, right? You know, we all, all costs go toward recruitment and then you get 80 and I get 20, it'd still be bad, but it'd be a little best. It'd be a, it'd be a little less bad. So I think it's that part of the money that really, really gets people upset because I'm not even sure, you know, these companies really don't have to do that. Like that's just, and I'm not, I'm not in the business of, I don't, I don't care. Like that's just stupid. That's a bad business model. I think that's the reason why a lot of disruptions happen because that's just so, that's so one-sided. Yeah. It makes me think of uh, Meek Mill when he had posted at some point earlier this year, I don't know when I'm going to get paid or I haven't gotten paid for this. And this is someone that, you know, could sell hundreds of thousands in his first week with, I think at least he did with championships or whatever the album was when he like first came out of prison, but he still doesn't know. And he's also someone that runs a record label himself, or he has the joint venture with um, Rock Nation for his Dream Chasers. So it's like, even at that level, artists still don't know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Benny the Butcher, definitely a favorite rapper uh, of mine, but you know, I was listening to a freestyle yesterday. He did, um, I think with Charlie Sloth out in London and he was, he, he said, these rappers, you know, they're doing a hundred K first week, but you know, they still not recouped. And I always, that is interesting, right? Cause you know, we're all, we all care about these sort of these, these first week numbers, but you know, how much money is it taking to get to those first week numbers? And, you know, still, you're still probably in the hole, depending on the advance you've got. Advances are good, but it's also a way for you to continue to be locked in at a contract, right? Like, if, would you rather have some people want that $5 million check, but, you know, you lose leverage when you, the more money you take. That's just the reality of it. Right. Yeah, I... I think that Benny, of course, and I think Griselda overall, they figured it out in a model that actually works for them. And I think Russ probably falls in this category as well, where it's like, okay, you know, we don't care about the first week numbers. We actually want to have a business that runs, right? So Griselda can sell $75 or $100 vinyls or, you know, butcher cleaves or whatever it is in order to, you know, have like high end merch that people are going to want to buy. And I think for a lot of artists, yeah, there is at least a bit of a trade-off to some extent. Like, do you care more about the revenue or do you care more about the fame and the accolades and the media and stuff? And I don't think that's as black and white for most artists as they may think it is. Yeah, because like the the real metrics that people should care about, you know, we're not in this all for money, but I think money and ownership, if you have those things and you're building a model that sort of is conducive and not just because you're doing shows all the time like you know i'm not sure russ has to pop out at nightclubs you know just to pay his bills i know for a fact he doesn't have to do that right and and that's sort of the flexibility and freedom that i think guys really want when they when they hop into the rap game they want to be able to you know sit on sit by the dame dash calls it that by the pool money right you know i want to be put my feet up by the pool have that residual income coming in and you know and and, and really be a boss really be a ceo not have to perform in Shreveport, louisiana 
you know, at a nightclub to, to, to pay my bills because I'm not getting any money for my music. Streaming's not the best model yet from a, from a payout standpoint, but because of how often and consistent people are streaming music, it's still an effective way for you to get money, right? So I think when Russ posts his tune core statements, you know, that, that is, obviously not everyone's going to have that sort of consistency and hard work, but, you know, a lot of that's real. I mean, if you have five, I always talk about that, that hip hop middle class that needs to emerge and we need to be happy with, we need to celebrate those people. And because if you're making 20,000 20, to 30,000 a month off music, damn, I mean, you could talk about, like, you know, that's solid money. I don't, that's nothing to shirk off. Some of these people, if they were independent, they might not be the global superstars that they are. They might be a little bit more in control. They might have less obligations and they might still be able to put out the music that they want to put out. And all that stuff sort of creates sort of a concoction of, man, maybe I would be happier. Maybe I wouldn't have to like, you know, get fake teeth and, you know, get a bunch of gold chains. I, I wouldn't have to do that because, you know, I'm living a, I'm living a lifestyle that's conducive for long-term success. So I, I think that, I think that's really important Dan. I mean, I, that, that's, that's kind of where I am and that's kind of sort of the education that, that I'm putting out. And I feel like that's also how you're building the businesses that you have and what you're associated with, right? I look at what you and Vic and the team are building with Blast as well and what you're building with Eagle. And I feel like this is exactly that, like you're building the company that's structured around this. Can you talk a bit about how you all have things set up? Yeah, yeah. So Eagle is a company that um, I am an equity partner in. It's me, Victor Burnett, who was the president and is also Blast manager. And then you obviously have Blast, who is the key cog, um, the creative genius, and really someone who's sort of, you know, been patient and made this all possible. But, you know, the way we're set up is, you know, we, we're, we're a company privately owned um, and we've been able to partner with entities and, you know, um, retain 100% ownership of IP. Uh, make sure we're we're getting you know some of that mail that that by the pool money at all times, and and, and putting ourselves in a position for us to you know not just build vertically but horizontally. We're building out. You know we have a full staff. You know we have healthcare for everybody. We have an office space. All those all that fun stuff that I, I think that you know isn't probably celebrated enough in in, in building a company and particularly in hip hop. Uh, so so that's that's kind of how we're building. And I, I think long term, you know, we're empowering our artists and, and the people that come next to do the same thing. It's not going to be a, hey, you, you sign with Eagle where we're taking your masters and you're taking ownership and control of everything. That's that's, that's just not what we're doing. And, you know, I think um, Vic and Blast in particular are very, very cognizant of that. And so, so I think I, I think we're, we're trying to lead the way in that regard. So is the plan to continue to build the company solely around the brand of Blast himself as the creative, or do you also want to bring on other artists too? Yeah, so we, we already signed another, um, I'll call him multi-hyphenate you know, talent as well. He's an, he's an artist and producer. So we'll be rolling him out sometime later this summer, maybe maybe early fall. Then we have another producer signed on or partnered on the, on the, on the sometimes I use old terms, but partnered on the, on the publishing side. So um, there are two other uh, creatives already, you know, in-house. And I think the goal will be to, to get, get bigger, you know, as time goes by. And then in terms of Blast specifically, what does his relationships look like with the major record label system and being able to amplify the work that he does? 
Yeah, I mean that that's a that's a great question. You know, we obviously have a public relationship with with Red Bull Records, who, who's who's our partner um, on the record side, and um, it's been a, it's been a super fruitful partnership. You know, Blast has you know elevated his career. They've been really helpful in allowing Eagle to to stay you know 100 percent independent in, in building what we built. So um, kudos to Red Bull and, and, and those guys over there. And a Red Bull's distributor is is the Orchard, so we do have a I guess major label tie, right? So you know that's, uh, but, but that's really kind of you know I think all three of us, you know, Blast is a is a multi hyphenate um, to the to the truest extent ever. You know, he's he's he could edit his own videos, he does his design work, he can produce his songs, he he engineers it. You know, Vic, similar type of talent. You know, he he's a he's a merch guru. You know, great, great leader, great manager, and same with myself. Obviously, I'm a lawyer, but you know, as an operator and someone who, who builds businesses on the sort of technical and admin side, you know, I, I love that part. So we're we're talking about three people who are multi-hyphenates. I think when you have people like that, you don't have to outsource as much uh, throughout the different phases of growth. And we've been able to um, resist some of the pitfalls that other companies have had to go through because we've been able to scale 2x to 5x by doing a lot of stuff in-house and i think i don't think that's going to change and you know our growth has been incremental and positive you know year after year um and i think that's because because we're taking the steps and we're, we're not trying to build something really quickly yeah you're trying to build for the long haul right and if blast is someday going to have his triple figure catalog sale if he want ever wants that that's going to be done by you know building step by step you're building you're building for the long term even though i'm sure right now especially after the kendrick feature and he's just been blowing up especially i feel like for the past two years now but i feel like especially the past like 12 18 months you've been seeing more and more at least publicly i feel like it may seem like it you know things are going fast but i feel like you know talking to you all yeah, you know, th- this is a long game. Yeah, it's, it's a long game. And you also know, like, you know, behind the scenes, we've, we've been we've been aggressive in, you know, diversifying our company profile and our portfolio and, and, and what we're trying to build, you know, outside of music. You know, I think all of us also realize the entertainment industry is also just a vehicle to, to, to impact the world. So, you know, at some point your vehicles change. And I think we're also, we, we also realize that, you know, everything that we're building today you know, has to be bigger than bigger than just the industry that we that that we exist in. That's just not that wouldn't be fulfilling for for any of us. So, I, th- I think that's we're very cognizant of that. That makes sense. That makes sense. Good stuff, man. I am excited to see not just more change in the industry, but obviously, I think you wrote this piece for a really timely reason, and we're going to continue to see the the impact of that. So, yeah, if you're listening, definitely go check out the future of the artist deal. That's up now on the Trapital website. And Carl, yeah, before we let you go, anything else that you want to plug or let the listeners know about? No, man. I mean, honestly, just keep your eyes out for for everything um, we're doing at Eagle. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of fun, disruptive stuff that that we announce and, and we do over the next couple months to a year. And you know, personally, you know, the, the folks firm is growing as a as a disruptor in the, in the law firm space. So, you know, look, look out for those two things. And, you know, I just challenge everyone to, to challenge the, the status quo. You know, that's, that's what we're all here for. That's the only way the industry grows, right? Yeah. Exactly. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. All right. If you enjoyed-
enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend. Copy the link, text it to a friend, post it in your group chat, post it in your Slack groups, wherever you and your people talk, spread the word. That's how Traffalo continues to grow and continues to reach the right people. And while you're at it, if you use Apple Podcasts, go ahead, rate the podcast, give it a high rating, and leave a review. Tell people why you like the podcast. That helps more people discover the show. Thank you in advance. Talk to you next week.